Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, folks. Uh, I'm Cal Ross, your host, and welcome to another episode of Wisdom of Friends. Today, I'm really excited and delighted to introduce you to a very good friend of mine. Her name is Pamela Stambaugh. Now, Pamela is a president and founder of a company called Accountability Pace. She's also a managing partner of Harrison Assessments. For 30 years, Pamela has provided feedback to over 2,500 executives as a coach and advised business leaders to improve performance, productivity, and results, including five years as a Vistage coach for senior executives and their direct reports. Her specialties are team facilitation and employee engagement. Clients have included companies large and small, including CBiz, G Healthcare, Abbott Labs, Marshberry, and Culinary Concepts. Pamela has authored two business books and spoken and trained around the globe. She's a graduate of Lewis and Clark College and earned her MBA at the University of San Diego. Community service includes chairing the university clubs, distinguished speaker series, and leading a team of coaches for landmark education. Friends, in this episode... Pamela and I talk about her journey from Wyoming to corporate America and the challenges she's encountered along the way. And this episode is filled with power-packed insights. I hope you enjoy it. So pull up a chair and listen in. And without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Pamela Stambaugh. So good evening, uh, Pamela. Uh, Welcome to the Wisdom of Friends show. I'm really excited that you took the time to be on this program. And uh, let me start off with my first impressions of you. And this was almost 10 years ago when uh, we uh, met during uh, the Wisdom course in San Diego. It was a year-long program where we really explored uh, how to live with uh, passion and how to contribute to the world. And uh, that was an incredible journey uh, that uh, I had personally in my life. But what stood out for me about you was your incredible drive and uh, passion and leadership uh, in the community. So uh, that was the first thing that comes to mind when I think of you, just your amazing uh, uh, presence and your leadership uh, gravitas that you bring to uh, every meeting, every uh program that uh, you attend. So I just wanted to let you know that. And uh, again, uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Cal. Very, very, uh, very kind of you to think of me so well. And, you know, it's interesting. For the last three years, I have been coaching the Wisdom course. So and this year and last year, I'm the coach of the coaches. So I'm leading the accomplishment team. So I'm still in that conversation. And it has transformed as well as we have transformed so still very exciting this is the last year of its live version the way it's been led and 
and the the way it's been led being led next will will change so we're excited for the next chapter Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, I certainly took away many distinctions from that course. I mean, uh, with a new level of uh, power and effectiveness that's helped me uh, amazingly in my career and in my personal and professional life. Uh, so now that's so great uh, that you're uh, head coaching that program. And I'm really excited to see uh, what's uh, coming up next within the next uh, phase of this uh, incredible uh, program that uh, it's being offered. So uh, one of the ways, uh, Pamela, that we kick off our show is by asking our guest a very simple question. And that is, what's your favorite uh, philosophy or quote that you live by? And how have you applied it to your life? Well, Cal, I, 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 um, it's a great question, but of course a very broad one. Uh, I, I took some time at the end of the sequence of courses uh, with Landmark, that wisdom division, and I, I really looked at who do I want to be for the world, and I took up the mantle that uh, what I want to make the difference in is that leaders lead with integrity and love and listen for people's greatness. That if all leaders came from that place, uh, the world would be safe, uh, the world would be warm and uh, inviting place to be, uh, that examples of excellence would be uh, what we were talking about instead of the the, divi- the, the divisive conversations we're having today about who's right and who's wrong. Uh, because when you listen for people's greatness, you don't listen for what they have said that's wrong. You listen for the gold. So, um, you know, I can't say that I am that 100% of the time, and I can certainly say that the, the place I want to be is having generative conversations. Uh, you know, and when I slip and fall, when I trip back into my old ways of being, uh, I, <laughs> my community lets me know, <laughs> right? As the, the gift of community is there a sounding board for the good and the bad and the ugly. <laughs> no, that's, that is uh, really great. And I think uh, the two uh, specific things that you highlight here, which I really like, is leadership and accountability. And, uh, and just to give you a little background for our audience here, uh, Pamela's been providing feedback to over 2,500 executives as a coach, as an executive coach, as a facilitator, and uh, to help people improve their uh, performance, productivity, and results. I mean, her specialties are uh, just really uh, focused on, you know, how do you acquire A-level players in the organization? How do you align your team? How do you engage in uh, sh- create a shared responsibility? And and we'll we'll kind of like get into that. So uh, one of my questions and what I'm curious about, Pamela, is uh, did you growing up, I, I was looking at your background and I did a little research on your uh, bio there, and I found out that he grew up in Wyoming. And uh, and what I'm curious about is, did you always know that uh, you wanted to be a leadership uh, coach and an executive uh, A player, or how did that journey began for you? And how, what kind of choices did you have to make along the way? No, Cal. You know, it's interesting. That was not the, an immediately known trajectory. 
um, I actually began my career as an English teacher in the high school, English literature education. And, uh, and that journey uh, went on for quite a while. Um, I, I would say that I taught for four years, but, but soon thereafter, I had always wanted to uh, get into business. And my parents were old-fashioned. They said, you know, if you want to be in education, uh, we'll send you to secretary, or if you want to be in business, we'll send you to secretarial school. That wasn't exactly what I had in mind. I think I did have a distant dream of making a difference in the business world, bringing myself into that context, but I wanted more of a business degree, but they weren't up for that. So I came out of high school into uh, English literature education and pursued that long enough to have some of that experience. And then I went on to media and was in radio, television, newspaper, a magazine. So it more was a zig and a zag. I I eventually said I want to get my master's degree in business and found my way back to my original intention with that decision and did that uh, in 84 to 86 uh, here in San Diego. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was what centered me in business. And at that time, Cal, there were, um, there were fewer jobs. The economy was not great in 86. And so that contributed largely to my becoming an entrepreneur, which I happen to have an affinity for. But, uh, but that's, that was the driver for that. It was more circumstance than it was intention. Mm. No, that's so fascinating. And, uh, and one of the questions we normally get from our audiences is about finding the calling, finding your passion. And, you know, oftentimes they have an interest, uh, but they aren't sure uh, how to go about it. And so my question to you is, when you're coaching some of the entrepreneurs or professionals or executives, uh, how do you work with them in terms of uh, helping them identify their true calling or identify their true uh, vocation, if you will, or what would what advice would you give them? Well, I don't uh, start with advice. I start with uh, here's an assessment and ask them to give me feedback on themselves. I measure their behavioral preferences or tendencies, and it also tells me about their interests uh, which is very contextual. It's the background of whatever they might be doing. And if they're off purpose, then their enthusiasm for their own goals will be affected. And so if I, ha- if I see someone who's successful, uh, who has other indications of, of effectiveness and their goal enthusiasm is low, then I can begin to dive into what would you have wanted to do had you pursued your passion uh, but without that feedback, I, I have to poke around at it. And I, I, I like to say that the work I do with the assessment gives me hard data on the squishy people stuff and enables me to dive right into meaningful dialogue and conversation with someone I'm coaching uh, without having to wait to get to know them and, and uh, suss it out, if you will. No, that's that's really great. So, <clears throat> what I'm hearing you say is, uh, 
you know, you're getting cutting through the abstract concept of the passion and the purpose, but you're really working with their actual interests and their behavioral uh, characteristics and leadership traits. And that gives you a good baseline to really uh, come up with data that helps you make uh, good choices and give them some specific actions and advice that they can kind of start implementing in their uh, career and their life sounds like now this is this is really great could you share a little bit about that assessment that uh, so that uh, people can find out more about it well yes yeah, so so the Harrison assessment is an assessment that uh, helps to predict job success and it's a very very robust tool uh, that that now you when someone has taken it it's about a half an hour experience and now you have this huge body of data about their work preferences, which is what, what it's getting at. It's like, what are your preferences at work? And then are you aligning your work with your preferences? Uh, the research uh, by Dr. Harrison indicates that if people enjoy 75% or more of what they're, they're, they're doing in a given day, they're three times more likely to be successful as well. So the alignment of, of preference and performance is, is quantified. And that, that's what the Harrison assessment is measuring. No, that's so great. Uh, and we'll include some of, the show link in the, some of these links in our show notes for our audiences to uh, find out more about that. Uh, so, Pamela, I'm going to take a walk back the memory lane here and uh, <clears throat> ask you a few questions about growing up. So who were your mentors growing up and uh, whom did you idolize? Were there any celebrities or leaders or uh, people that uh, you kind of looked up to growing up and you wanted to be like them or anything that you could share? You know, that's interesting, Cal. Um, yeah, I think my father was very much someone that I admired a great deal. Um, we moved every three years growing up until I was in high school. We, we moved for the last time in my period of time with parents uh, when I was in the middle of my freshman year of, of high school. So I was the oldest of four children. That meant I spent three and a half years in Cody, Wyoming, and then moved on to college, and my siblings all kind of grew up there. So I didn't have um, I didn't have a um, a lot of uh, symbols. I did. Uh, my parents were friends with uh, Alan Ann Simpson, the senator from Wyoming, and his father, Millward Simpson. Um, in fact, my dad married Alan Ann brother and, and sister-in-law. So um, they were amazing people to me. Um, and there were a few people in our parish that I thought highly of when we were growing up. Hmm. But um, I, I've looked back on my career and realized I had moments of great coaching for myself, uh, but I didn't have that one individual who provided sustaining um, the, the, the example set. And part of that is I, I also saw in my own Harrison assessment that I had kind of been someone who really was more into experimenting, trying this and that, than I was persisting. And I really... Uh, when I saw that in 1999, it had a huge impact on me because I realized I'd gone here and done this, I'd gone there and done that. 
but I hadn't really stabilized into something uh, that would be meaningful for me into the future. Uh, so I think I've taken my lead from my reading, uh, you know, philosophers or uh, business gurus who set forth a good example and, and uh, you know, more recently... Um, I have certain books that I really, really enjoy. Transparency is one of them about ethics in business. Um, and I really like Simon Sinek. I don't think I don't think it's as meaningful going backwards, but transparency was written by Warren Bennis who, as you know, is a major uh, business guru. Daniel Goleman, <clears throat> who's well known for his emotional intelligence, and James O'Toole. Uh, my copy of that book is dog-eared. Um, you know, I just really... Uh, Charles Handy, who wrote about paradox, which is another uniqueness of the Harrison assessment. His work in social, uh, the social arenas. Of course, Werner Erhard, when I found... Landmark education, I was very uh, taken by the ontological approach. And then I also had some spiritual training as well. So, Wow. No, that's that's such an incredible uh, sharing right there. And I think uh, most of these books that you mentioned are just incredible uh, bestsellers with amazing uh, literature and wisdom behind it that uh, can totally alter people's destinies. And I can see why you would, uh, someone in your position would recommend these books. Now, one of the questions I do have for you is, uh, and is what's been your favorite failure along the way? And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, oftentimes when a setback happens and, you know, it could be like uh, soul crushing, it could be devastating. And in that moment, you look at it and say, wow, why did that happen? Or, you know, whatever that could be. And but when you move it forward, when you go into the future and when you look back, you see that that was probably one of the best things that happened. And to give you an example, in my own personal life, uh, I remember this was almost 30, 35 years ago when I was uh, applying for my U.S. visa. Uh, I was doing my undergrad in uh, India and I had this opportunity to come to the States to finish my undergrad, which was like doing my freshman and uh, sophomore year in India and the junior and senior year in the States. And when I'd applied for that visa, I was turned down. And I felt that it was like one of the worst things that happened then because all my friends and they were all, uh, you know, leaving the country for better pastures, if you will. And I had to stay back and finish my education. But then two years later from that point, I applied for my master's program and I then uh, got my visa and got a full scholarship. Uh, uh, well, I wouldn't say full scholarship, but partial scholarship towards my master's program. And that turned out to be like a blessing in disguise. Uh, you know, so my question to you is, when you look back at your life, were there any favorite failures that uh, comes to mind? Well, I, I think um, <laughs> my favorite failures are probably that I've been married three times. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I and, I, <laughs> and it was, you know, after my second divorce, I looked around and said, well, the common denominator here is me. And uh and that was when I actually found myself in the Landmark Forum, for example, and when I took on uh, myself 
as uh, as somebody to really uh, realize that I needed to, uh, you know, attend to how I was showing up in the world, give that a little bit more uh, <laughs> attention. And, uh, of course, now I'm happily married to a wonderful man, Larry, and and uh, you know we we will celebrate our tenth anniversary in uh, October. So congratulations! That's uh, that's amazing. <laughs> it is good. It's very good. Uh, but I would say that um, the uh, the the journey of relationship is really relationship is really everything. Um, you know how how I am or how we are in you know, as we relate to people. Um, that has become really more and more important to me. Carolyn Mace, M-Y-S-S is how you spell that. She was one of my spiritual teachers in my earlier uh, spiritual journey. And she said, you know, when you're you're toilet water, you'll have a toilet water relationship. And when you're cologne, you'll have a cologne relationship. And when you're perfume, you'll have a perfume relationship. And I really took that on and what it said to me is uh, I need to I need to attend to who I'm being and if I'm being someone um, who is um, attentive to relationship and thoughtful and considerate and caring then I'll likely draw that to myself right it's the it's a it's a reflection and uh, so that was you and I knew one another back when that relationship was either brand new or not started yet, probably brand new. Yeah, it was brand new. Yes, uh, I remember that. <laughs> and uh, and you were so excited that when finally, uh, uh, yeah, you met Larry and then it was one of the, I mean, I, mean, I, I can speak uh, from what I saw and it was just an amazing, we knew, everyone in the community knew that there was a match made in heaven for you, both you and Larry. And I'm so glad and Happy uh, that you're celebrating your uh, 10 years uh, anniversary. That's so great. Yes, it is. Awesome. Uh, So, no, I think uh, you really uh, highlight this very, very important point, be it uh, personal or professional, that relationship matter. You know, it's it's like the juice of life, right? I mean, and I like that Maya Angelou quote, which says, you know, people... uh, may forget uh, what you say to them. People may even forget what you do for them, but uh, they'll never forget how you make them feel. And I think I think uh, taking your uh, sharing here, I think what, what I'm hearing you say, or I would like to add on to that or say this, that it's, it's really how we make ourselves feel in terms of the way of being really reflects out into the world and the kind of people we attract into our lives. And that's so important. And I like your metaphor that you just shared about if you're a perfume, you attract a perfume. And uh, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, <clears throat> So having been through this ebb and flow of life, Pamela, uh, my next question to you is, what's your definition of success and how would you define greatness? Uh, well, success is whatever uh, you're doing makes you uh, feel good about yourself and about others and I'm I'm a big make a difference person. So if I've contributed to someone else, uh, that's success for me. And if I'm not contributing to someone, if I'm at home doing my 
administrative stuff, I'm not having as good a day as if I'm out there making a difference and having a conversation with someone that can make a difference. And that takes something for me because I'm an introvert. I don't really love to go out there. And in order to make a difference, I have to get over myself and get out there. Mm. Uh, Greatness, uh, you know... um, I I think greatness is is hard to define because uh, there are there are teachers like I one of the accomplishment team people this year is in her thirty first year of being a teacher for the young young children uh, you know that and she's still excited about it it's it's it, you know you can you can find people who have had. Uh, growth and development along the way and continue to expand themselves or you can find people and that's greatness right that's like like looking for the next edge never losing the excitement of uh, whatever it is that is the contribution i find that people who live long and have a spark in their eye you know clear into old age are the people who have found their passion and are making a difference in some way in the world. And I think that's greatness. Um, but it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be on TV. It can be, uh, you know, a school teacher who still thinks about how she shows up with those little people uh, every day. Now, that's so beautifully uh, stated, Pamela. I think, uh, you know, the people who've made the biggest difference in my life have been uh, my teachers from my high school and my uh, primary school. Or And then these were the, some of the teachers that I still remember fondly. And then, uh, you know, it's it's and they are the ones who really shape our lives. And uh, but as you said, greatness can be uh you know, doesn't have to be this magnanimous thing that we do it on in the public eye. It could be like a small thing that having a conversation with someone and making a difference uh, in their lives. And I, I totally like that. That's so great. Uh, what's uh, what are some of your? I know you've lived in San Diego for many years, and it's one of my favorite cities uh, uh, in the in the globe. And uh, my question to you is: What's your favorite place to travel, and uh, what do you like about uh, traveling so much? Well, uh, I I started my speaking French in the third grade, and I I took some French all the way through college. And then when I was at the University of San Diego, I befriended a number of French students just so that I could have the excuse of continuing to practice my French. So if I'm given an opportunity to go somewhere, or if I'm looking at a map and saying, where do I want to go, it'll probably be on the southern half of, of the European uh, continent. Uh, I just really enjoy France and Italy and Spain and Portugal and and those places. If I'm going to get on an airplane and spend a long time, I love to go to those places. I've not been to New Zealand, and I understand it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but I, I, I tend to like the, the European or... Uh, I don't know what you would call Australia and New Zealand, but I've traveled quite a bit. I've been in in a, a lot of the uh, different cultures, both in Europe and in Asia. I spent a, a month in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just too it's too humid there for me, and and the food is too different. I'm just not that 
inclined uh, toward those cuisines. I'm a picky eater anyway, and then you put me in with a bunch of strange stuff that that has eyeballs, and I'm just not as comfortable. Mm. So, so <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. But so the point is, I'm just I'm really much more inclined toward um, uh, places where I can understand the language or at least pretend to understand the language like, like <laughs> France. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I, yeah, that's that's so great. And I we all have our preferences and I was just recently I visited south of France and then I was also in uh, Spain for a week and uh, it was just a magnanimous uh, magnificent uh, experience and the culture and the people and the history was just incredible. Uh, so no, that's so great. Uh, so what are some of your favorite hobbies and interests when you're not uh, uh, coaching and leading and uh, making a difference in the community? I uh, I like to collage. There's a a woman wrote a book called Soul Collage, is some version of Soul Collage, which is really getting access to deeper um, meaning, if you will. I, we collage in the wisdom course, right? But this mm-hmm. is. This is like that, only uh, uh, only there are some spiritual overtones to it, and uh, and it's just it's, it's a self expression for me. So I'm putting together a little group of people to do that together. Um, I would say yoga could probably fall into the category of a hobby because I try to get there three times a week, and I really find it. Uh, did it, you hot yoga? Or was it uh, vinyasa? No, no, no. Yeah, vinyasa. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. That's what I do. I I went this morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Nice. And then, yeah, and uh, swim, and you know, just stay active. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live downtown, so walking. I always have my iPhone camera at close at hand, and we like to take pictures. Both Larry and I like. He's probably uh, more of an official photographer than I will ever be. And with a snap-and-shoot iPhone, it's pretty easy to uh, pretend and just go have fun. Not so great. So I'm curious about the spiritual collaging. So how different is it and what is it about? Could you give us like a high-level uh, example of what that is? I'm really curious about that. Um, so it's, it's a portrayal of um, you, you, you just put – pictures together that you cut out of a magazine or, you know, uh, pull down from the internet and put them together like you would a collage uh, for for when we were collaging our winning formulas and things like that. And then if you have a group of people, it's a community within which you can then uh, have some fun doing interpretive readings of those cards, and you can actually create a deck of cards. So there's a particular card stock that's quite strong, and it, it the the size is I don't know four by six maybe mm-hmm. a card, and then there's a sleeve that you could put over your collage, and so you can build up this deck of cards. Uh, you can look it up on the internet, Soul Collage. Uh, is a book and it's you know it goes through what all of that is i'm just beginning i've been doing soul collaging with a friend for a while mm-hmm. uh, I, but i just recently have said you know what i'm i'm going to pick up that book and really read it and um so you create little uh communities and like 
you know, go back and think of who were the influences. A lot of the kinds of questions that you're asking, Cal, mm. would useful kinds of questions when you're thinking about the collage uh, that you next wanted to do. So, No, that's great. Uh, we'll definitely include that in our show notes here. So uh, I want to kind of move on to the next section of our uh, interview here, and it's uh, some of the questions that we have gotten from our audience. And uh, so the first question uh, I have for you, Pamela, is uh, – what, in your opinion, stops people from achieving their fullest potential? Well, <laughs> I think there are a lot of uh, a lot of uh, reasons why people stop. Fear being one of them, right? Yeah. Uh, lack of self confidence, um, attempting things and then failing and taking failure as something seriously wrong with them rather than seeing it as a step in a journey mm. and um you know we're we're um we're in an inquiry in the vacation course the year in vacation course of building a bridge to big and what would it take for us to actually experience ourselves as having a you know as much of a positive impact in the world as we possibly can have and what will that take? Well, it obviously would take getting over whatever stops us. So I am in that inquiry. We're, we're all in that inquiry this year of what is it that stops us. So if I look at my, my own stops, uh, one of them is um, I make myself wrong for something, and then I don't want to do that again, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a pretty human, human thing. Uh, or I just I, I, laziness, right? Not wanting to to uh, address something else. Uh, I'm I'm pretty active in you know a number of social environments or communities. Uh, I'm a uh, we have a university club here, and the Distinguished Speakers Series is a monthly event where we take on an issue of importance to the community. Um, and I get expression beyond myself in that realm. I'm the chairman of that committee. And, uh, you know, we take on what's the economic impact of the San Diego Convention Center on San Diego, for example. That's our topic in September. <coughs> I would not have raised my hand to be the chairman, but I'd outlasted everybody else on the committee. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's, uh, that's, uh, some kind of stickiness and persistence and perseverance. No, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, And just for the benefit of the audience, uh, Pamela has authored two business books, and uh, and she has you know, given speeches and trained around the globe. She's also a graduate of the Lewis and Clark College, and she has earned her MBA at the University of San Diego. And as she was just saying, she's been uh, chairing the university clubs and distinguished club series, the speaker series. And she also leads a team of uh, really high caliber coaches in San Diego. So, uh, so what the next question I have for you uh, is, uh, Pamela, and I want this is uh, steering more towards organizations, and as most of our audience here is entrepreneurs, professionals, and uh, you know, really executives working at uh, some of the Fortune 100 companies here. So my question to you is: In today's day and age, uh, with all the global economy that we have going on, and 
why do you think it's so critical now than ever for talent acquisition and talent management in today's day and age? Well, I think it goes back um, now to the to the point I was making earlier. If people are doing work for which they have a passion, then they'll bring themselves to that. You know, an organization is a place uh, that should provide their employees with an opportunity uh, to be a part of something larger than themselves that has some meaning, even if it's e- even if the job is not specifically. Uh, in and of itself motivating the, the, the purpose of the organization and the way in which people are treated and the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the way in which they feel a part of something uh, bigger than themselves has an impact. And so talent, talent is, it, it, that's, those are the feet that get the job done, the hands that get the job done. And so, uh, if they're if people are treated like an asset, you know, like another uh, another asset, then then that's not as favorable a, a view of the individuals who are contributing to the organization than if they were treated as individuals who have unique contributions to make. And, and if organizations were interested in finding those unique contributions, then there would be a higher level of engagement. And, and I, you know, it's a mystery to organizations why people aren't engaged. Well, they're not engaged if they don't have work for which they have a passion and a, and a preference. And if they aren't in an environment that values and, and, uh, and understands uh, how to treat people. And so I think we've gotten away from some core values. Um, I actually wrote a paper on strategic planning and, and uh, you know, that, that whole picture there of, of how far away from core values that leadership has gotten. And I'm not the only one who says that. There's the Edelman Trust Barometer that is published every year about how is the trust of leaders in the world, and the trust of leaders is at an all-time low. No, that's uh, that's really uh, uh, nicely stated there, and I think there was a Gallup study that was done not too long ago where they uh, found out that based on their research that 80% of the people working in corporate America are disengaged from their job. I mean, that's really a high number. And well, the, yeah, the most recent number I heard was was more like 64%. But, you know, it depends on if you're talking about moderate. If you include moderately engaged and completely disengaged, uh, you know, or, or right, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of degrees, but it's not a pretty picture. You're absolutely right. Yeah, no, that's uh, and then I and it goes back to uh, what some of the some of the companies in corporate America are doing now is, uh, you know, it's that uh, amazing bestseller that was published. Uh, I think it was almost a decade ago by Jim Collins on Good to Great, and the importance of getting the right people on the bus and uh, you know the the. V- having the right A players and uh, because A players are the ones who really help an organization uh, steer in the right direction. So my next question to you is, how can a company A 
uh, hire some of these A players, acquire A talent, if you will, and how can they keep them in the organization so that uh, they can keep growing and contributing? And it may be a little a follow-up to the earlier question, uh, but and my real question, I know it's a mouthful here, but <laughs> my real question behind all that is what are some of the best hiring uh, strategies a manager or a company can uh, implement to hire A players? Well, uh, you know, first of all, the, the, the uh, what Jim Collins said was get the right people in the right seats on the bus, mm. right? And so that's the suitability factor that we've been talking about, which is measured by the Harrison assessment. And so if people have that, uh, th- there are three variables that go into uh, whether someone is in the right position. One of those is eligibility, which is first, and it, it and it's answering the question, can the person do the job? Do they have the skills, the education, the certifications, the experience that are required? And then next is suitability. Do they want to do that work? And then third would be the cultural behavioral fit, uh, the fit with the supervisor, the fit with the company, the fit with the values. And so those are the things that, that really matter. But, but then you have to look also at the, the way in which an organization treats its people. Uh, even if you get all of that right and you have an organization that, that, um, that is, uh, runs their values, um, do not match the values of the individual, there's a, there's a misfit mm. there. And so there's a lot to fit in uh, a conversation for possibility when you're hiring. Um, and it has to be a win-win. It has to be, it has to work for both parties. Uh, you know, you, you, you really don't want to stretch. And it's harder and harder, of course, because uh, as baby boomers leave the workplace and the millennials are coming up, there's a there's a skill gap and an experience gap, um, and so I actually saw a billboard on the road on my way to Los Angeles to give a presentation the other day. I saw a billboard that said we're hiring, and it was for um, a restaurant. Uh, I I'd not ever seen that before, so. So the the whole business of be having a brand, uh, an employee brand, not just a brand people recognize like Coca Cola, but a, a a brand as an employer has become very important. You know, is this an employer I want to work for? The best place to work kind of awards matter, and social media is a place where uh, organizations put out to the world who they are and then if an employee gets there and it's not true what whatever they said about themselves there's a disconnect between what they experienced and what they heard going in it's a problem so there's a lot more to consider today because there's so much visibility everywhere no no i think i totally agree with uh, what you just shared and i think it's uh it's about having when you're hiring team A players, and it's really about uh, you know checking for competency, whether they have the skills, the credentials, uh, and uh, the qualifications to do the job, and then then having the willingness to do the job, and then finally the third being you know is it 
Are they a good fit with the values of the organization? And I think that's so critical. And I think uh, the other point I also would like to make here, and I want to kind of branch into, uh, I know there's so much uh, I want to ask you, but we're running short of time here. But I would like to ask you the next question on leadership. And uh, I know that's your forte as well as being an executive coach and having coached a lot of uh, leaders uh, within uh, top organizations. So my question is, you know, there is that old saying, correct, that people don't leave organizations, people leave uh, their managers uh, when they quit the company. So, uh, you know, it also comes down to the point of level five leadership. So what would you say uh, are some of the critical steps that an organization could start uh taking to develop good leaders or in other words what are what is your take on having a strong succession plan throughout a company well uh you have to you have to identify candidates that have potential but that's it's a double-edged sword actually because sometimes what happens with people who have been identified as a high potential is that then they start being all about getting the next layer and the next layer and the next layer of the job for themselves. And they stop caring about the culture of the organization and taking care of their people. And it's all about looking good and making themselves uh, out to be the one, right? So they're in, they're, comp- they're competing for the next position. There are right. The, the, the organization gets narrower at the top. So, uh, that has become a bit of an issue uh, for some companies. Um, succession planning is um, is a process that requires that you actually understand what the role is, what's what's required, and that's not that's not clear a lot of times right it could be better uh, in most companies but it it, it's um, really important when you put someone on a career path inside an organization that they know what they need to learn in order to be available uh, and ready for the next level of responsibility one of the things i've seen happen and i've been checking this as i talk to companies about what they're doing uh, and participate uh, is uh, they'll they'll um, they'll have this person who may be great and is is effective at the layer that they're at. Let's say they're a middle manager, and they need more. And but but some of what they're doing that's effective at that level is exhausting them. They they have what I call compensating strategies for getting the job done. So, for example, uh, maybe they're collaborative, uh, but they're not really. They don't have a strong preference to be collaborative. They just know that's the way the culture is. So they have to do that. Well, it might be something they can get away with not being true to themselves and being collaborative at the level they're at. But at some point as they go up the, the levels of responsibility, their compensating strategies aren't strong enough and don't have enough substance to, to 
carry the breadth of responsibility they're getting on the way up. And so at some point, there's going to be that moment when they just can't hold it together. And that's what's happening, is that the organizations are superficially assessing people's capacities to, to be able to take the next level of responsibility. And, uh, and again, I mean, it's my tool, so you can understand why I come back to it. But we measure that stuff. We, we know what the developmental behavioral competencies are uh, that, that an emerging leader needs to have and where this person is relative to those needs. So, uh, you know, and you, you, you mentioned earlier, my, you know, I'm a, a managing partner in that Harrison assessment. I've been working with that tool since 1999, and it has come, uh, brought more and more value all the time. Uh, we're now measuring employee engagement and, and in a way that's actionable. So I'm, I'm passionate about this, Cal. I think you can tell that, that there's so much pain when you get when you when you don't do that succession planning thing, well, any of the people stuff, but but the disconnect for for people who are working with someone that they don't respect, um, you know that that, that the, back to the statement you made earlier about people leave people, uh, you know you get you get an organization a really big organization like GE Healthcare for example, which I work with. And you have these people, um, they've got one job, they kind of get used to that job, and then all of a sudden there's an organizational shakeup, and oh no, now I'm over here doing this job, and I didn't want that job, I liked the one I had. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> yeah. Just- yeah, it is, it is unfortunate, uh, because I think... Uh, you know, it's uh, as you stated, it's so critical to really honestly assess and evaluate the capacity of the executive and the and the leadership, because it does have a domino and a cascading impact on uh, downstream and uh, on the employee's morale. And that has uh, a direct impact on, uh, you know, how they operate in the company and their engagement, as well as which has a domino effect on uh, customer service and eventually uh, on the shareholders. And I think uh, uh, so that's that's really a very good point that you make there. Uh, One other question I have before we jump into the next section, and that is I know uh, I was reading one of your blog posts recently and uh, that you had mentioned about how, you know, in today's uh, there are roughly 10,000 baby boomers a day are retiring between now and 2030. And so the next question is, and then 8 million millennials are entering the workplace. So my question to you is, can millennials be managed towards their highest potential, uh, given some of the uh, tools uh, that companies have been traditionally using? Or what would you suggest or what would you say to that? Boy, I, <laughs> that is a, that is a, a loaded question, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> I realize that. So let me let me simplify this. What what would what suggestions would you provide to organizations to uh, better manage millennials going forward? Um, I think they. I think I think management needs to give more um, freedom to millennials and expect results, and never mind how they got how they got those results not and i don't mean that outside of the frame of 
uh, of ethics and, and, you know, all of those things. I'm talking about if, if they want a result, uh, if, they, if they're clear what the result is and the by-when of a result, uh, and then that millennial chooses to do that work uh, with his feet up on the beach, uh, you know, there just is, there's this desire uh, to have freedom uh, that was never in our, you know, they're just not conformists the way uh, the, the earlier generations have been. And so uh, there, there's, uh, there's this, this experience that people have of millennials that they just don't behave themselves. And there are a lot of funny things, that, <laughs> funny <laughs> stories people tell uh, about their experience with millennials. Um, I think I think they're as long as you have someone who's got uh, you know core values and isn't out there um, you know with drugs because I've had some serious concerns about the youth and and the uh, you know the amount of drug use but I, I I really think that millennials are people with a good brain and they've they're probably more adaptable to the to the future world we're moving toward and living in than uh, a lot of people give them credit for. And it's just a matter of uh, they have to change in order to be able to manage a new kind of worker. And, uh, and they don't want to do that changing. Yeah, and I, I, I totally uh, get your point. And I think uh, most companies are st- starting to lean towards that. And with uh, they're slowly shifting their strategies in terms of uh, employee retention. I think you've started seeing things like telecommute and flex days and, uh, you know, uh, remote workers and things of that nature that allows the, uh, you know, millennial to uh, work on the beach and still deliver on their results. And, and then also there is a thing about offshore uh, consulting and contracting, which we won't get into at this point. But, but, you know, I do have many friends who are lifestyle entrepreneurs and who are, uh, you know, who have companies that they run remotely and they are pretty successful at it. So I think uh, companies uh, need to seriously start looking at what strategies that they can adopt to uh, retain some of the A players from these uh, young millennials. Uh, well, that's, that's such a, a good point. Uh, so moving on to our next section, and this is going to be a really uh, sh- uh, short section. I know we're cl- uh, close to a, an hour mark here, and and I could go on forever with you with this amazing conversation, but I'll, in the interest of time, I'll try to keep it short here. So the next section is the rapid-fire round, uh, Pamela. In this section, these are just a bunch of fun questions I'm going to ask you, and it's the first question, first response that comes to your mind. And if you, of course, if you want to elaborate on it, please feel t- to do so. But again, this is the rapid fire round. So, Pamela, are you ready? Oh, sure. All right. <laughs> so, the first question I have for you is: Whose brain would you like to pick? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd really. Uh, this is a political hot potato, but I'd really like to know what what. Uh, <laughs> oh, and I'm, I don't know that I'm even going to say that. But what what uh, what is it that? Um, <laughs> well, let's just take an interesting brain like Trump's, right? Like it, 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 there's there's got to be a wiring in there with with some uh, some good use somewhere, <laughs> you know. Uh, it, 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 
so I, you know, I, I don't know. That's a hard. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, we can, we can now. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> I get, I get yeah. that. So let, let me ask you the next question. Whose brain would you like to have had? Um, Mr. Feynman. Or, oh, I like him, Richard Feynman. Yeah, Richard Feynman. Yeah, I would have loved to have been that interested in the physical world and, you know, really, really <laughs> be, be an adventurer in the ways that he was an adventurer. Right. Uh, the next question is, if you could be successful in another profession, which would you choose? Um, I think it would have been really fun to be in uh, commercial interior design. Oh, wow. That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, what color describes you best? Purple. Hmm. You're actually the second guest on the show who's uh, mentioned purple. That's uh, very interesting. Uh, the next question is, if you could have witnessed one event in history, what would that be? If I what? If you could have witnessed one uh, event in history, what would that be? Oh, uh, gosh. Witness an event in history. Well, <clears throat> the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Oh, that's great. I like that. And then um, this is the final question within the rapid fire section, and that is if you could have any message if of your choice on a billboard, what would that be? Love one another. Oh, I love that. It's beautiful. Moving on to a wrap-up round, and this is our final section. I just got three questions more for you, Pamela. So the first question I have for you is, what is your current uh, personal or business project that you're working on, or what are you looking forward to in the next six months to a year? I have a new partner who is uh, um, really a, a powerhouse in the realm of uh, transformation and uh, uh, training. He is, he is ramping up a training company, and we're partnering. We're, we're just in the early stages of partnering and doing our first uh, certification of the Harrison assessment the end of September and uh, you know he and his wife don't live here they live in Santa Rosa uh, but I'm quite excited about that because I'm a collaborator not a, not a solopreneur uh, and I've been a solopreneur for a lot of years so I'm quite excited about that. No that's excellent and uh, wishing you all the best uh, on that project. And we'll definitely include uh, all the links here in the show notes. And what are some best ways to uh, get in touch with you, Pamela? Are there any? Uh, are you on any of the social media? Or I know you have the website accountabilitypage.com. Is there, is that the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, that's. I'm certainly there. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my you know, my name spelling is sometimes confusing. S-T-A-M as in mother, B-A-U-G-H. Uh, some people make that an N. Uh, but yeah, I'm in LinkedIn and I'm on the web, accountabilitypays.com. There's also a website for Harrison Assessment specifically, on, and you can get to it from accountabilitypays.com. It's accountabilitypays.harrisonassessments, plural. Dot com. So Harrison Assessments has an S on the end of it. Very, very confusing. Two long names. I think it's a uh, – I, I would love for that to be shorter. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now we'll, we'll include all the links in the show notes so that way people can just click on it and get to those uh, sites. And then the next question I have for you is, what are three things you're grateful for in life today? Oh, well, I am incredibly grateful for my health, <clears throat> for my health. Uh, I am grateful for my my uh, living in San Diego. And we did start with, I grew up in Wyoming. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a significant difference there. And I am grateful um, for the the transformation and the, you know, the, the, the mental, emotional, uh, spiritual pursuit uh, and the gift that it is to have that available uh, to me and to be able to share it. Now, that's great. Uh, so, Pamela, I would like to acknowledge you for a couple of things. Uh, one is that... Uh, what an incredible role model you are for the community because, uh, you know, just the way you've led your life and then, you know, having had uh, the inner strength to uh, really pursue your passion after having uh, been a teacher and studied uh, English uh, literature and uh, going on to do your MBA at uh, University of San Diego and then like really uh, creating a real uh, blueprint within the executive uh, board of corporate America and leading with uh, passion and purpose and, uh, you know, helping shape uh, the leadership of our community and the society. So that's so inspiring. And the second thing also is that your generosity of uh, coaching people and giving back to the community. And uh, I know that uh, one of the things that I noticed on your profile is uh, you kind of take on coaching and mentoring uh, uh, one of the MBA students uh, as part of your giving back to your uh, uh, San Diego alum. So that's that's really great. So thank you for uh, just uh, an amazing contribution that you are to uh, the society, Pamela. Well, Cal, thank you. And thank you for including me here. And, and uh, you know, for, good for you for having the wisdom of friends that's a great it's a, it's a great contribution and i know that's outside of your work so it it takes something and i, I admire your uh, your having the the courage and the willingness to strive out there and be who you are and bring yourself to the world the way you do too we miss you down here i appreciate that thank you so much and and this is our final question and this is how we wrap up all our interviews and the final question is why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends ah. <laughs> uh, to to uh to to have a fabulous journey and be inspired Hmm, I like that. That's beautifully said. So again, uh, Pamela, thank you so much for your time and candid answers. I truly valued our time here and appreciated our conversation. And with that, for those of us who are listening, we'll wrap it up. And if you liked what you heard, please share. Don't be shy. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Cal Aras. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, theglobalcontribution.com. To your friends and colleagues, be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous episodes. This has been a Seven Symphonies production. Join us next time for another edition of the Wisdom of Friends.